I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. So I'm going to give a disclaimer for this episode and include a part of the conversation in this interview that I would normally remove because it's just regular chatter before the interview actually starts. But the book we are referencing, Toxic Faith, is co-authored by the co-author of a problematic book called Every Man's Battle. We had some mixed feelings about highlighting a book by a person who authored a book that has caused a lot of damage in the Christian community. In the end, we decided to move forward with the episode. My reason is the 10 characteristics we address are characteristics anyone could have written. Seriously, I could have come up with them. You could have come up with them. There is nothing profound about this list. But because a list was already made, we're using it. We're also not endorsing Stephen Atterbaum nor the book Toxic Faith, and we are definitely not endorsing Every Man's Battle. Lauren Hunter is the author of the book Leaving Christian Science and is a former Christian scientist, not to be confused with Scientology. She's also had a long relationship with the Evangelical Church. We discuss the 10 characteristics of a toxic faith system comparing Christian science and evangelicalism. Get ready for a great conversation. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden. Tears of Eden is a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. All guests on Uncertain are sharing their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the views of Tears of Eden. On the Tears website, we feature book reviews, podcast recommendations, and survivor stories. So if you are a survivor of abuse from a church community or are interested in learning more about this subject, I encourage you to check it out. We are also open to submissions from all of you, so if you have a resource you'd like to review or a story of spiritual abuse you'd like to share, please consider sending it to us at tearsofeden.org at gmail.com. Here's my interview with Lauren Hunter. We're still going to record it, and these characteristics are still good, and so it's just kind of, I probably will address it at the beginning of the episode because it's kind of kind of the point of the whole podcast it's called uncertain the point is not let's have the right answer it's like to have a set answer for this yes yeah let's sit in this uncertainty and I'll just like admit I was uncertain once I knew that he was the author of this book that has caused a lot of damage to a lot of marriages and I want to acknowledge that up front we're still going to go with with this episode. We're still going to talk about toxic faith systems, but we need to acknowledge the harm that this book has caused. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I said this before and I don't know when was this book written in the nineties, maybe 91. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a little muddled in mm-hmm. that he's a Christian teacher. He's talking about toxicity. Yes. Many of the things are good, but he opens up with like this horrible religious cult example. And I'm like, whoa, but he, so he's, he's mixing without, without Hassan's doc, you know, bite model or any of the people who've come before talking about the ingredients of cultic and mind control principles. So I, it made me, it triggered me a little bit when I started reading it just because he's talking about toxic church, church stuff. But then it's like, wait, we're in a cult. That's crazy. Wait, we're in a Christian church that is just doing weird things or mistreating people. And so mm-hmm. sort of jumping between those two camps, which are, that's confusing mm-hmm. and hard. And I, I don't, I didn't feel like it, it did a good enough education job. Like if I'm a pastor fresh out of school and I'm picking this up and I've never encountered a destructive church, like right. there's a lot more things you need to be aware of than just this. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a good However, like, yeah, it's a good like, hey, here's some stuff to look for. Mm-hmm. That could be a problem. Right, exactly. Asterix, there's a lot more information, scientific, psychological kind of information on what goes in, what's the recipe for a good destructive group. Right. Like, that's right. where you shoot over to the experts like Dr. Hassan, mm-hmm. um, who has a new podcast, which is awesome. If you, I don't know if you've seen his podcast. Did I know he had a podcast? It's fresh. Okay. Between all of the pieces of information in my brain. I mean, every 50% of everyone today has a podcast. Exactly. Why I haven't started one. I'm like, I don't even have time to listen. If I were trying to start one right now, I would be way too intimidated. I feel like I started right with the explosion when everyone was doing it. And I didn't, I wasn't fully aware that everyone was doing it. And then suddenly was like, Oh, everyone's doing this. <laughs> well, I mean, you're fortunate in that you're you picked a genre that needs more. Right. There's only a cup, you know, you can fit them in one the palm of one. Like right. there's only a, a few, a very right. small few. Right. The fact that Christianity Today did that whole series on the rise and fall of Mars Hill, like that was revolutionary journalism because mm-hmm. for Christian organization to actually report on toxicity within the Christian faith, yep. like two thumbs up. <laughs> it exists. It exists. Yes. All right. Well, let's jump in. I would love before we start going through the 10 characteristics of a toxic faith system, I would love to hear about your book, what it's about and why you decided to write it. That is a good question. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm Lauren Hunter and I'm a jack of many trades, (laughs) but predominantly a writer and an entrepreneur and also a a worship leader. So um, (laughs) a mom of four great kids who are all 12, 12 to 19. So that's a fun very fun, fun zone, learning, yeah. learning to let go a little bit more these days. So two years ago, not quite two full years, but September, 2020, I released uh, my first book. The title is leaving Christian science, 10 stories of new faith in Jesus Christ. So I was raised in a religious cult called Christian science that at the turn of the century, 1900s um, was the fastest growing religion in America. Crazy. Wow. Probably your listeners have never heard of it or only I didn't know heard of it a smidge, it. or you yeah. think we're talking about Christians who are scientists. So it's not that it's a religion that was founded um, officially in the 1860s by a woman named Mary Bakeretti. So she's often thrown in there with famous feminist women who have done cool stuff. And she is a cult leader, founded this religion. She claimed prophecy from God. She fell had an accident, claimed that she was healed by this prophecy that she received, subsequently wrote a book called Science and Health with Key to the Scripture, which was a guide to walk you through the Bible, redefined theology, redefined Christian terms, and set up a religion. A lot more complicated than that, but that's the high level. Right. I, I was raised fourth generations of Christian scientists. So that's a lot of people on multiple sides in my family. So I didn't know anything else. This is what I was born into. I didn't choose it. Christian scientists are known for most 
most well known for not having medical treatment, not getting vaccinated, choosing prayer over medicine. And that's complicated in the theology, but that's a nutshell. So I, I love stories and I had written my own testimony, my own story, kind of what happened to me and how the cracks kind of got into the theology I was raised with. And then how God kind of stepped in there and like broke it apart. Cause I, you know, you think that you are raised with the truth and truth in Christian science is capitalized a T and means Christian science truth as taught by Mary Baker. It doesn't mean truth from the Bible, the word of God. So I thought I always had the truth until the cracks started showing up. And so I wrote my story and then I interviewed nine other people to tell their stories out of Christian science, really to show like the evidence, like I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people who have left Christian science. And so the book is organized around different theological topics that are essential to kind of break apart Christian science theology and help people see into what's wrong with it and then kind of recorrect it. So, so out of the 10 stories for each story, each person's testimony kind of tells a story related to each topic. So I go through that and then there's a pastor point at the end and kind of a compassionate letter for me, from me speaking to the reader. And then a section on biblical truth that has a couple of Bible verses and a few reflection questions. So it could easily become like a guide to go through with people who are questioning. That was like, yeah, that was, (laughs) I was going to ask, is that kind of who your audience is? Is someone who's like, oh, cracks are forming foundation isn't as solid as I thought I have questions. And that was kind of who you thought. Definitely. Yeah. That's definitely the primary audience. And the secondary audience is people who are in relationship with Christian scientists. So there's a lot of people like, Mm -hmm. so what I, what I heard, and there's some good um, reviews up on Amazon of people who were like, Oh my goodness, I didn't understand this at all. And they're just beating their heads against the wall, trying to wrap their minds around like what makes this person tick? Why do they behave this way? And so that was, that was um, cool to hear that so many people and even um, people on my book launch team, like my own mother-in-law was like, I had no, she's, you know, I've been around for 28 years in the family, you know? And she was like, I had no idea, you know? Oh, that's awesome. That's great. That's really cool. Well, that's really awesome. And I hope that, and I think as you were sharing some of your experience of like what Christian science is and that this is the only way, like this is the truth and this, and there, there, there are subsets of that in the evangelical community. This is the right way to interpret the, absolutely. This is what this means. And I think a lot of us can relate to, relate to that. that specific part of it doesn't yeah. mean every church is a cult. It doesn't right. mean every church is a high control environment, but that is a characteristic. And some of the characteristics that we're going to go over today of these high control environments of these toxic faith systems that are going to show up in evangelicalism. And if you've been in evangelicalism for a good amount of time, you've seen it because it's that common. So in the amount of time that we have left, we're going to try to go through. Let's do do this. So (laughs) what I would like to do is I'm going to read it. And then I would love to hear you like share an example of it from Christian science. And then I'm going to share an example of something that I've experienced either in evangelicalism or the Bible-based cult that I grew up in, uh, which is very similar to Christian science. So let's get started. First one is 
Characteristic number one, the members of the toxic faith system claim their character, abilities, or knowledge make them special in some way. Yes. I I like that he chose this as number one on his list because I think every group uses this one to kind of differentiate, which it's interesting from a marketing perspective. It's like, if you don't have something special, like what's going to draw people to your group? (laughs) So yeah, I mean, each, each group that fits into some kind of toxic based system, they attempt to support their claims with scripture. So Christian science definitely was supported with scriptures plucked out of context by Mary Bigaretti. She did consider herself a modern day prophet, but she always kind of referred to that as like third person or convoluted Victorian language. So you're like, wait, did she just say that she's the comforter that Jesus said he would send? And you're like, wait, did she say that? Did she say that? So there's some controversy. Well, she didn't exactly overtly say that, but you know, yes, she does mean that Christian, she meant that Christian science, Christian science was the Holy spirit. Whoa. The comforter. So, and I apologize for not having this, actually the scripture. No um, there's a chapter in my book on the Holy spirit, this comforter, I understand to be divine science, Whoa, that which is, is a synonym straight for straight Christian up. science, straight up, straight up. That is pretty <laughs> overt in my opinion. Yeah. 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 And I think that that might be what separates a cult from a high control environment is the overtness. And I would say like in the, in the group that I grew up in the cult leader, also my father really did believe that like he had some access to truth that other people didn't, which was why he, whenever there was any form of conflict with anyone, which happened a lot, it was all because they weren't following God and he was, and that was what the issue was. And it presents so much more subtly in evangelicalism, but I have seen that happen. And we were talking about the PCA earlier of just like the reformed theology being the ultimate form of theology. Now, the presentation of that can be very, very, very subtle, but I remember being in these churches and like this version of the Bible is the best interpretation. Mm, the, mm, this yeah. hymnal is the most accurate theologically. This, you know, and like that type of approach to the Bible and operating, which is just getting a little close to that. Toxic and faith. just <laughs> to share too, so Christian scientists and I think Mormons, Latter-day Saints, they only use the King James version of the Bible. Mm. And they're also like evangelical Christian sects or groups that only, only use the King James version and kind of present that, that it's the only reliable. And, and actually it's like super not reliable. You know, I mean, it's, like there's so many translations now that they're like, oh yeah, they added this verse, like the Lord's prayer. I mean, there's like an added line that we all use in the Lord's prayer, depending on what church and it was added. Like it wasn't even in the original, you know, Greek anyway. Yes. I am sorry. I didn't realize your father was the leader in the group that you were referring to. That is, that is intense. Yeah. And I just wanted to pause and like recognize that that is like a very, difficult, intense thing that you've had to deal with. Yeah. And I wonder, I think it's part of the healing process to me that I don't see him as my dad anymore. Mm. I just see him as a man. Like 
there's like that affection for him as a parent, like it just, it's just not there. It it doesn't exist. Yeah. It is. A, it's a, it's a strange, it is a strange, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure it out too. So. Do you have a relationship with him or are you cut off totally? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have a very tentative relationship with my mom who's still married to him, Yeah, uh, yes. but I don't have a relationship with him. Yeah. You know? So yeah, yeah, which is very probably healthy, healthy. Yeah, it's so uh, yeah. Okay, toxic characteristic number two: the leader is dictatorial and authoritarian. How does that present in Christian? Yes, so cults one hundred and one. If you were to take that class, there should be there should be a class in seminary called cults one hundred and one. Most cult leaders are documented as being narcissistic, either if they've not had a formal analysis by a psychologist and PD is the DRSM five, right? Like a narcissistic personality disorder. It's a disorder. It's in the book, many group leaders. That's, that's where they fall. So they think that they are the bomb. They think that their ideas and their theology and everything like can't be um, refuted by anyone. No, no one's ideas are as good as their own. So definitely Christian science falls into that with Mary Baker Eddy. I think it was unique because she was a woman. So, I mean, there's been a lot written about that. So definitely. And then authoritarian, what she did to protect her religion that she set up was she, no rules could be made really without her. She, before she died, she set up a manual called the manual to the mother church. And it's a little book kind of like this. And it has all the rules for church government in there and nothing can be changed. She left no way to make any amendments, any changes, any modern prophets. Even the Mormons have modern prophecy and they can make some edits and changes to things with their board of men you know, back in Salt Lake City. Mortem narcissist. Yes. Postmortem narcissist with controls in place so that uh, few, if anything, aside from what color to paint the parking lot lines or what color to paint the building, um, very few things can be changed. They do update the hymnal. There's a committee for that. And so I thought that was interesting, but I, I, don't think there's anything drastic in there. Yeah. The church that I worked for in California, and this is a common experience too, the main pastor was a narcissist, but the culture itself was narcissistic and it kind of bred others. There were, there were other people. And I remember the pastor got deposed by the presbytery, which was a miracle situation. He's now been reinstated. And then he resigned Uh, side note, but they, they, when I did, when they were doing the investigation before they removed him, when I was interviewed, I told them, I was like, you're going to be right back in this situation in immediately because this culture is wired to be run by a narcissist. Like the culture itself will not operate if there is not a narcissist leading it because it needs like one person telling it what to think and what to believe. And he was a more behind the scenes operator. What I experienced of him um, and would like put people out to kind of like do his bidding. They're called flying monkeys. But I definitely saw that operation of just like, it wasn't ever him directly saying it. He had other people kind of doing that operating for him. And I think in a, in a, like an evangelical culture, there's a lot of like 
you know, self-flagellation debasement, you're supposed to kind of like not be self-seeking. And so I think it sets up a culture for those narcissists to be a little bit more covert and have to operate in a little more covert way. Not always, but in some cases that is the case. So if there's one person or group pulling the strings, that's a red flag telling, telling everyone what to think. Well said. Characteristic number three. Religious addicts, which this book addresses religious addiction, which is, I think, something on another podcast needs to be, we need to talk about why people become addicted to a religion. But in this characteristic, religious addicts are at war with the world to protect their terrain and to establish themselves as godly persons who can be compared to others' personal who can be compared, who can't, can't be, who can't be compared <laughs> to other persons of faith. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I was a little confused about how he's interchanging religious addicts in the context of the list, but I think, I think what he's getting at is that the system of toxicity, the toxic faith system, quote, toxic faith system is what produces religious addicts. So then the followers become religious addicts and also the leaders within it. So um, in Christian science, there's uh, lots of controls which fall into that. If you're, if you've set up a cult well, or a group that is being redefined um, by its principles, you have to have control mechanisms in place to, to control the mind. So Christian science is considered a mind science cult in Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin, which is, there's a new um, handbook out that his daughter, Jill Martin Rishi, who has become a contact of mine and endorsed the book, my book. It's a smaller handbook guide that goes through the main cults, which is really helpful if your listeners want to look that up, the Kingdom of the Cults handbook. And the controls in place include information controls. So Christian Science has committees on publication and they each region, like each region around the world has people who are like public affairs for Christian science. So they will kind of stamp out or they'll write op-eds to the newspaper. If there's a article about, you know, a child not receiving their vaccine or whatever the information is, they have sort of spies out there who are looking for things in the media. Also, like every other good high control group, you're not really supposed to read outside the lines. So there's Mary Bigretti set up the Christian Science Publishing Society way back in the 1800s. So they published their own book. So she, her book is published. She was a good business person. She published her own book. She published many other books. You know, there's other Christian science authors who will get published through there. There's a Christian science journal, Christian science monitor, which you may have heard of. It's a national newspaper. I think it's only published like once a week now, but so all of these publishing endeavors serve to control that information. And I was also going to say that the us versus them, which I think another point hits on that, but um, at war with the world. So you kind of build this bubble and that is a great lead into whatever you're going to share because of the bubble, the bubble. The culture wars (laughs) might be where you're headed. Uh, A good book on this is uh, uh, Jesus and John Wayne. Kristen Dumay wrote that, but the culture wars occurred in the Oh, the eighties, I think spearheaded by people like uh, James Dobson. And it was all about, we need to protect our children from the evil out there. There was a big movement for stay at home moms. There was a big movement for homeschooling and Christian schooling. And it was all about 
we don't want our children to be infected with the Babylonians, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, any non-Christian world that still impacts and infects evangelicalism. I like as a youth director. (laughs) I mean, I don't understand what's wrong with SpongeBob. I've had this (laughs) argument and I have another friend who's an author and was right in there with many of the people that you mentioned that she wrote a book on what's wrong with Harry Potter and she got blacklisted in the Christian community because she didn't see the harm and kind of I want questioned to read that. that book. Yeah. I'm probably getting the title wrong. I'm sorry, Connie, if I'm getting the title wrong, I'm going to look it up real quick. Yeah. I want to, I want to, how did you see that in your, but, but yeah, like Harry Potter, like that's still, I mean, I'll just use that as an example in youth group. Yeah. It was like, if I used an example of Harry Potter, I'm like, I could get pushback for this. Like there are still kids who aren't allowed to read Harry Potter because it's witchcraft. And so there, that kind of mentality of just like there, it was this idea that like this, which is just, it's crazy when you know the real story that I was told, I was told I was on, I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter. I was told because, because JK Rowling wrote Harry Potter to convert children to witchcraft. That was what I was told. Okay. And I want to, I want to give the correct title of the book. It's by Connie Neal. She is a good friend of mine. N-E-A-L, Connie. What's a Christian to do with Harry Potter? Ah. And her book is on Amazon. So if you search Connie, Connie Neal, N-E-A-L, or what's a Christian do with Harry Potter? And she's the author of multiple books. Love it. Love it. I want to read that book. Uh, (sighs) So that, that's, that is how this idea that we are better basically is a sign of a toxic faith system. We are better than everyone else. And we have- I did want to add a note, something that we work on a lot in recovery because we have, I'm a part of a a Christian ministry for former Christian scientists called Fellowship of Former Christian Scientists, ffcsministry.org. And we have support groups in there that are kind of a religious, if you will, they're, or non-religious. So they're, it's a secular initiative called the Get Wise Initiative. And it's awesome. We have good teaching, actually, Gina Roth, who's your friend, right? And she is is amazing. She comes in and she teaches us all kinds of really good, awesome stuff. But the black and white thinking is something that is another hallmark that can kind of be fit in here and and straddles the divide and both in evangelical groups and destructive groups. It's like, oh no, it's either this or it's that. It's black or it's white. And really a lot of things are gray. I mean- when you get down to it. So if a group is telling you that either you believe this yes, or you can't be in this group. Now I will say that there are a few essentials. If you're deciding that you're going to be a Christian, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a, well, a, yeah, a short list are- of essentials right. that you, that you want to cling to, but there's a whole lot of other stuff that shouldn't be on that list. Mm-hmm. So, and just like core values of this reality of like, you know, like, why do we say abuse is wrong? Like, you know, like there's, there's a reason why we will say certain things are wrong and certain things are harmful or certain things are unhelpful. That's different than saying this behavior is not allowed. And if you follow this, you're out. That's very, 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 and a difference between 
you know, having core values and having character versus having control and brainwashing. You may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. Number four, toxic faith systems are punitive in nature. Definitely in Christian science, the punitive control of that is that there's this idea that if you tell a non-Christian scientist that you're sick, you're giving the sickness power over you. So what Christian scientists do is they keep everything clandestine. They don't tell anyone. They only talk to their practitioner. They might stop going to church if they have something obvious that's wrong. Very few people will like call and check up on you. There's not that Christian love or like bringing the casseroles over. Many times something's wrong and then someone dies. And then they also don't really have memorial. Oh, also, yes. If if it's another punitive takeaway from that is that if you aren't being healed or you, you know, something goes on for a long time. Yes. If this, it's not the system that doesn't work, it's you and your understanding of the system. And that's a byproduct. It's never said overtly that you need to pray harder or you're not clinging to the truth enough. Although someone might say that it's more of an internal control. So all the, all the controls are really internal and mental. That's why it's like a mind science cult. There's not someone, there's not a lot of like externals where there's a minister coming over to your church and coming over to your home and like checking on you and berating you. None of that happens. It's all in the doctrine and the theology. And it's like internal that you're at fault. You're not, you don't know enough spiritual, you know, identity, things to, to heal yourself. So, yeah, I think an extreme way that this presented in the Bible based cult was, was absolutely like you're in favor or you're not, if you're like this then you're in favor, if you're behaving like this, you're out of favor. And I think it's more subtle presentation of that was in the, in the evangelical church that I was in. And it was, and this is how I, I first started to realize something was wrong. It was that feeling of like walking on eggshells. I didn't know who I could trust. I knew these offices were safe to talk to people in because the air duct didn't carry to other offices, or I want to talk to you, but I don't want people to know that I'm talking to you. So you leave and then I'm going to follow you in five minutes. And then when we go out more and go on a walk, and then when we come back, you're going to go in and then I'm going to wait five minutes and then I'm going to go in like that, that type of just like crazy, like something. And it's like, what are they going to do? And you're kind of like, what, what, what are they going to do? Like main, mind control? Like, what are they going to do? They can't, I'm not doing anything legal. I'm not in a new, my job, but it was like, you would get like cut out. You'd get cut out of meetings. You'd get in trouble for things that other people didn't get in trouble for. And it would just kind of come down to, and then like you were saying earlier, like, like you're, there's something wrong with you. It's not the system. It's you, which is a, and a fantastic example of gaslighting. So yes. <laughs> yes. So this is how it shows up in a evangelical community. Number five, religious addicts are asked to give overwhelming service. 
Um, in Christian science, there are no paid pastors. There is no minister. The oh. books are the pastors. So there are two readers. There's like the lectern in the front with enough room for two people to be standing there at the same time. So those people are not paid. There are a couple of paid, like a secretary is paid a couple hundred dollars. A soloist is paid $50 a service or something like that. So there are a couple of little paid things, but for the most part, someone, there's a committee for the church and everybody's volunteer and they kind of divvy up those responsibilities. Christian science does not really have a whole lot of activities or events. There's no youth groups. There's no potlucks. There's no social events really, except maybe a Christmas gathering at someone's house. So there's not a whole lot of service. There is a Christian science reading room that each church is supposed to sponsor. And so a lot of people will volunteer to fill the hours for that. So it's not as does it feel, feel compulsory or like you're a good Christian scientist? If you uh, scientist if you yes. Know. I mean, definitely compulsory church going. And that's something that I kind of wrestled with the COVID. So I've been out 20 years, but when COVID hit, I was just like beside myself a little bit with like not physically being able to go to church. Mm-hmm. So kind of like maybe akin to Catholicism where you're like in bad graces. If you don't go, there definitely is that feeling like, unless you're on your deathbed, you should be at church or at least that's what my takeaway was out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess two examples here, Bible-based cult that I grew up in, it was straight up slave labor, like just, it was a form of physical abuse. I would name it now because of how physically taxing it was. I think I saw this show up in the church that I was in because there wasn't care for staff that was overworking and there wasn't uh, monitoring staff to make sure that they were taking care of themselves. There was this idea of like, if you got sick or burned out that you just couldn't hack it, which is so unhealthy, so unhealthy. And so I know that, that like floods the the waters. I see that a lot just on Instagram, people that I follow on Instagram of just like, you know, like compelling these people to volunteer this ungodly amount of hours, not unpaid, just, you know, and and that, that sort of thing that kind of, and like, you're just serving the Lord, you're serving the Lord, like that kind of compulsion. I see that happening a lot in evangelical community. Yeah. There there's a huge component of that in Mormonism. And I just was reading a, a book that kind of itemized all the different hours. And then there's several people, former Mormons, like on Instagram too, that have spoken out about that. And there's like 20 hours compulsory stuff. Like you're supposed to go to as a family a week. Right. And we had a prayer group and one of my friends is Mormon. She came and she actually prayed with us, which was wonderful. She's since passed away from cancer, which is super sad, but she explained to us that their bishops get a calling and then they assign tasks and duties to each person. So, and she had five kids and she was assigned like the high school youth group. Like these are people, you know, I mean, you know, you said you, you were in ministry, no. like it's a huge amount. You can't say no, you can't uh, say no. Um, but the, I, I feel like that has leaked into evangelicalism big time. Like there are mega churches in our neighborhood where I have friends whose teens are being worked into the ground at Mm -hmm. summer camps and things like that. And they did it even during COVID and everybody got COVID and things like that, that I'm like, that is not good. That is not good. That's not teaching our kids good Mm -hmm. self-care. And yeah. And I, I know that it was there and I was a little bit probably 
I, I like work. And so I, I know that I overworked because I like it. I did. It wasn't necessarily compulsion. There were definitely times when I felt like I need to say no, but I can't. And I'm going to get guilted if I But did. We also didn't learn growing up because both of us were in groups. We didn't learn how we to didn't do. learn. Right. So boundaries, it's not on his list, but boundaries are a consistent issue. True. Mm-hmm. And so we've, I've had to learn as an adult, what do healthy boundaries look like right. both with myself emotionally, with myself serving others or people pleasing. And let me tell you to go from a high control group to step into Christianity as a young mom. And I had four mm-hmm. kids and that I was still under that law of like, you will please, you will serve, you will do. And I, I had I had, you know, one, two, three, four little kids. And I was still, you know, I jumped right in. I was, I was a mop table leader. I was a Bible study leader with my baby on my knee. You know, I was on a committee for women's ministry. Like the list goes and nobody on. Nobody was saying, maybe nobody was do this, right? Maybe you should wait for this season. Yeah. I remember that just like that, that infection. And I experienced a lot in the church in California. I didn't experience so much at other churches, but definitely the church in California. And I would have these volunteers that I could tell they were exhausted and I would have conversations with them to like, and I probably should have pushed harder, but it was like, you're pushing up against this mentality of like, if I don't do this, I'm a failure. And so if I were to say, Hey, maybe you should take a break. They would see it as they failed. And yet I was like, you need to take a break. (laughs) I, I can tell you're exhausted. The students can tell you're exhausted. It's time to take a break. Like it's not good. And so it was just that just internal. And it just, I mean, I just remember being like, I mean, we're going to be okay. Like we're going to be fine. (laughs) If we don't have volunteers for this event, we going to cancel the event because we don't have enough volunteers. That's just yep. how it works. <laughs> I visited a church and I was so impressed by them. We were, we were visiting this church like a couple weeks in a row to see if we wanted to go there. And they had, I think 40% of their numbers were children. Mm-hmm. So out of like 600 people, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of children. Yeah. So they said from the pulpit, they said next week is the women's retreat. All the moms are going to be gone. The dads are going to be home with their kids we don't have enough people to work in children's ministry. So we want to let you know there's a sign up. If you don't sign up, we're not going to have children's ministry next week. Good. I was like, hot dog, you preach it. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Like if you, yeah. And it could be for any reason that you can't, but if we don't have the volunteers, we don't have it. That's just the way it goes. (laughs) Yep. Get, get your coloring book and your crayons and bring the kids in church. That's okay. Oh, too. that's great. I, 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 so which ones I know we're running low on time. Do you want to hit one super big one that you one or two? Yeah. They kind of like build on each Over, other. They overlap. Yeah. I'll read the last, read the last, uh, five, four, four of them. And, and you tell me which one jumps out at you the most. And we'll use, talk about that one for the last time. So then listeners at least have these in their head. Number seven, communication is from the top down or from the inside out. Yes, that makes sense. Number eight, rules are distortions of God's intent and leave him out of the relationship. Legalism. Yes. Legalism is. Mm -hmm. is and always has been a problem 
Definitely. And Christian science has a lot of legalistic controls within it. They will say, yeah, they'll say that like each person is free to choose their own path. If they're not having a demonstration, which is a healing, they're free to go. Like if you, if you ask a Christian scientist, can you go to the doctor and say, well, each person is able to make their own choices. But the truth of it is, if you're a reader, you're on the board and you choose medicine, you're out. You're taken down. Um, Maybe not excommunicated because that's not really done. People just kind of leave and aren't heard from, but definitely the controls are are there. Yeah. So that one overlaps with punitive. Yeah, absolutely. Number nine, religious addicts lack objective accountability. That is a big one one. and toxic systems. And then number 10, the last one, the technique of labeling is used to discount a person who opposes the beliefs of the religious addict. I'm, I'm assuming an example of this is, is like, they're a gossip, like, oh, they just gossip or, I mean, it's uh, more, it goes back to the previous one, us versus them, which the, which the disgruntled people who left the church. Oh, they're this, they're the disgruntled employee. Yeah. Mostly in Christian science, they're degraded and devalued by saying, oh, they didn't, they just really couldn't grasp it. So it's, there's a collective narcissism with groups like this. And I've, I've kind of written about this, this spiritual elitism, if you will, that we have a special knowledge. No one else has this. We are the only ones. If you want to have this, you need to be in our group. And then the, the fallout from that is if somebody says, oh, it didn't work for me, or I didn't have a healing, then the Christian scientists might say something very narcissistic, like, oh, it wasn't, you, you could, they couldn't grasp the high understanding of the principles that Mary Bickery, you know, described. And so that's very convenient. It's very convenient. Yes. <laughs> and so, sorry. I'm- At a number nine, relax, la- religious addicts lack objective accountability. This, I saw this play out in the church, the abusive church, just, oh, just like, uh, perfectly. They, you know, people said you have problems. This church has problems. You need help. So the leadership, the people with the problems went out and hired people hired consultant, hired therapist, hired, you know, organization to come in and do assessment. Who was doing hiring? The leadership who had the issues. So the objective accountability, they picked people who are going to agree with them and to do and say what they wanted them to say. And then they could take their findings and present it to the congregation and say, we're better. We're healed. This person, this this person, and this person signed off. (laughs) <laughs> this exact thing happened at the PCA church that we were part of for 15 years. So if you can imagine like coming out of a religious cult and being, you know, I had a, we loved our church and it was wonderful. And the pastor who founded it got a call to train other pastors in another city. And so he's like stepped away from his own church and the second in command took over. And that pastor turned out to be a wolf in sheep's clothing And he slashed and burned every ministry that was thriving. And one by one, each person on staff resigned and was had to sign the NDA and wasn't allowed to speak freely. Hmm. And we called for an investigation and the presbytery sent someone and they didn't find anything wrong. And they interviewed people and then they presented to the board or whatever, same thing you just described. And 
pretty much everyone left the church. This is a thriving, it was one of the biggest PCA churches in California or probably on the West Coast. Um, at one point, maybe 1,200 people, which is pretty big for Presbyterian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was super, super hard. Right, super hard. right. Yeah, and like, and and you want to believe these object, quote, objective people are coming in and they're an outside. And, I, and a lot of people will say, you need to f- hire an outside person. And I'm, I'm against that now. Cause I'm, I just, I heard too many stories of how these outside organizations operate. They operate for the benefit of the pastor, which on one hand, yes, we want to care for pastor. On the other hand, in a lot of these narcissistic situations, it's the pastor. That's the narcissist. And so these outside organizations are not aware of that. And they tend to not have any cognition of power dynamics. They try to resolve it like conflict, but they don't have any awareness of abuse. They don't have understanding of trauma. If there's abuse, there is trauma. And so that's just something to be aware of when you think objective (laughs) accountability, outside sources are not necessarily that objective accountability. What does that look like in a healthy context and, and who is, who is making those decisions and, and how that could potentially look is really tricky. I'm just going to, it's tricky. (laughs) And I will tell you from experience because we took our concerns with our PCA church to, I took it to the pastor first with an elder in the room. And when the pastor is crying in front of you to make it all about him, instead of dealing with the issue, that is a big red flag. And we took it multiple layers and it was not a good ending. So, so, I mean, I think to wrap, to wrap up some of this stuff for people listening, you know, unfortunately sin is still around, always will be, always has been. And it infects, you know, people everywhere, whether Christian or non. And we, we kind of have to be aware, you know, Yeah. We have to know, we have to have some basic psychological understanding of things that are good to do and things that are not good to do. We need to notice and we need to keep our families protected and safe from groups that might morph into some kind of control group situation like this. And it, it makes me really sad, like as a believer, because we want to be open and we want to be uh, loving and whole and peaceful and be at peace with other people, but we, we can't be naive. Right. And you can go to, it's good to have these things in your mind and you can go to a church. And a lot of times these aren't going to show up right away. It might be a few years before you see them. And once they do start showing up, or if they do start showing up, you can leave. You don't have to stay. And I would recommend from just stories that I've heard and, and seen, there are people who need to stay and try and fight and reform from the inside. That's just something that people, some people need to do for themselves, but more than likely once it's reached this point, you're not going to be able to do much. So you can leave, you can find another place and it's okay if it's really fun for a couple of years and you really like it for a couple of years and then it ends up not being so great. That's okay. It's okay. That, that time that you enjoyed it, that's still real. That's still valid it's still a real experience and you can take those, those memories with you. 
<laughs> well said. Well said. Well, if you're interested in uh, looking up my book and that piqued your interest, you can find it on Amazon, amazon.com. You can Google, Google, you can Amazon. We'll, we'll you call it. Amazon you can, it. you can Amazon or you can Google. And I will put uh, all your information in the show notes. So people can. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Cleveland Christian Science. And then you can find me at laurenhunter.net. Thanks so much, Catherine. Great conversation. I am so glad this finally happened. Yes, what me it too. Like six months. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. God's Finally timing, this right? Out, but this was great. <laughs> I, I loved it. This was so great. I really appreciate you mm-hmm. taking the time to go through all these toxic faith uh, characteristics for us. And I think it's going to be a super helpful ep- episode. So yes. really glad to get to, ne- to connect with you as well. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.